What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. So mom, who are we here with today? So we are here today with Chloe... Garcia Ponce, the most amazing healer and human. We Skyped yesterday for the first time, and I knew immediately that Chloe had to come tomorrow, today, Mm. to come and do this because she's just absolutely perfect for our our community and for our message in terms of what an incredibly down-to-earth and deep and humble and creative person she is. So we're very, very, very happy to have her here. Can you begin by talking a little bit about what you are the most excited about right now in life? To see this new generation, you know, really want to have their identity and their voice be heard in this political spectrum that is daunting. A lot of people are very fearful with what is going on, not just with the planet, but also with the political spectrum of this country and how that unfolds in other countries. And to see the youth and to see people standing up for their rights and wanting to change the outcome and to really shake up the system, that's what I'm the most excited about. Do you believe that what is happening right now is going to lead to a real change? I hope so. I have faith that it will. Because I have faith that, you know, the power and the will of goodness and righteousness and standing up for the right things, that even through history, when we have seen darkness, like light has prevailed. Does that come from personal experience for you? Yes. I mean, I think in order to understand or to speak about light, you have to experience darkness. And, you know, the amount of light that I see or that I'm capable of working with is also because I have witnessed a lot of darkness and sadness and grief and pain. And all of that is part of this beautiful um, wheel of life, you know. It's, we cannot have one without the other. But what we can have is we can choose how we want to live our life and what we want to move in what direction, you know. My grandmother on my mother's side, who was Cherokee, when I would come to visit her, Mm -hmm. she would always bring me back to a lineage that was very sacred to her. She was my teacher in Mm -hmm. many ways. Mm -hmm. She grew up in a very poor part of the United States, And being Native American, you know, they were not affluent at all. And 
my grandfather who immigrated from the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Jewish. He built a beautiful future for my grandmother. And he gave her everything. It was beautiful growing up with them because they were my biggest teachers. You know, they had nothing and they built everything as immigrants. And so for me, I grew up in a very privileged situation, but I also was exposed to a lot of grief and pain. I lost my father when I was very young and I lost my sister as well. And, you know, when you experience death at a very young age, it can be a very traumatic. But I had my grandparents, I had my mother, I had really a loving family that just, we were able to rise above the sadness. We didn't try not to talk about it. I mean, we were very, you know, in my culture in Mexico, death and life is is, is the same. And so we always had... Can you elaborate on that? Death and life is the same? Well, we have a platform in our in my country, in Mexico, where we're able to honor the spirit world. And we have a time of year where we... It's called Dia de los Muertos, where we honor our ancestors that have passed. And I think living with the reality that even though the physical has of the people that you love has gone, you're still able, there's a, a way of communicating with them, you know, through altar work or through just remembering them and feeding their memory. And I think as a young child, knowing that, you know, the person that I love the most, my father had left me in a physical form, but I was still able to communicate with him on a spiritual level. And to honor his memory was very comforting. Why did you love him the most? I had a very special bond with him. The way that I'm able to love in this lifetime, the way that I'm able to to just be unconditional with that word, is because of what he gave to me before he passed. What are your memories of that? Like, can you give specifics? I remember his smell. That was, I remember when he passed, I was in a store. How old were you? I was eight. Eight. And when he passed, all of the senses started, you know, to awaken. And so I would go into a store and I, he used to wear a, a cologne with a vetiver. And I wasn't aware of the scent, but I remember walking into a department store and stopping and just crying. And I asked my mother, I'm like, what is that smell? It reminds me of my father. And she started crying in the moment because she's like, I cannot believe that you can remember that. This is like, this was your father's cologne. So I think I started my journey with the synchronicities of, of remembering his legacy or his his spirit came through food through smell and that was also an initiation of how to become more intuitive with all of the gifts that we receive wow so it's almost like his leaving in a way brought you to what you're doing the grief and the sadness that I experienced in my childhood with the loss of my sister and my father and a lot of loved ones allowed me to connect to the spiritual world because that's what I do I work very closely with death and so I think that my connection well my initiation I would say with the spirit world came at a very young age I could hear things when I was younger 
I could hear voices. But because voices of, of people that are that were passed. passed, yes. And I was very much connected to wanting to salvage or to give people the proper way of dying. And when I was a kid, I would find animals, you know, dead birds or cats that were run over. And I, I felt innately that my duty that I needed to give them a proper burial. I had this willow tree in my garden, and it's a tree that teaches you how to bend, how to be forgiving. It allowed me to cry when I needed to cry, mm -hmm. and it allowed me to laugh and to be joyous and to play, and I'm very connected to nature. I mean, I know when you walked in today, I was, as I'm like on my computer having a neurotic meltdown about some Instagram mm -hmm. caption, um, making sure we're saying the right thing, you come in and you're like, we're sitting on the porch outside and you're like, oh my God, you're so lucky to be surrounded by all these trees. And I'm like, oh my God, Lily, you haven't noticed these trees <laughs> in months. If my religion is nature. My temple is nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I give to people or the way that I really, the way that I connect to my work is through the elements. Mm -hmm. So I need to understand and to listen to the wind, to be connected to the, the rhythm of the water, to understand the movement So even though we live in these cities and when it's hard to sort of recognize that our teachers around us all the time, mm -hmm. when I walked in, in and into your and I saw your garden and I saw these ancient elders that surrounded you, <laughs> it's a blessing. What do you think your style says about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my style has been a huge. Um, I, I don't even know what word. I mean, since I was a kid, like. That was my creative voice. In my older age, I'm, I'm becoming much more of a purist, I think. You know, just wearing... I mean, I wear a lot of color because mm -hmm. I think color, the vibrancy is very important, especially in a city where everyone wears black. What black does, it makes people feel like I'm not being seen or I don't want to be uh, the center of attention or I just... There's a sort of like very... and. For certain people at certain times, that's the energy that they need. And so you, the, the vibrancy of color, it's, it, you're bringing in the frequency of, of, of life force. You know, why when you go to these countries like in Africa or you go to India or you go to Latin America and you have all these women that are wearing these beautiful tejidos, you know, like these, these colors and this vibrancy and they look like flowers. Mm -hmm. And all these photographers and all these artists, they want to paint them and photograph them because they're such a positive energy. Have you always had these amazing eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. And, well, let be and let them be natural. Yes, because uh, my eyebrows are a very big representation of my father. Mm -hmm. He had the same eyebrows and the same form of eyes as me. So when he passed on... It was a way that people used to recognize him inside of me. Mm -hmm. And it was I felt very honored and privileged that I had them. Mm -hmm. And so when I would go to school or when I would go to a department store and people would make comments of like, oh, honey, you know, you would be so beautiful if you just plucked your eyebrows or, you know, maybe you could, we could clean them up. I was very adamant. I would be like, I'm fine the way that I am. Mm -hmm. I like my eyebrows and this is the way that they're going to stay. So when did you move to New York City? I moved here when I was 17 because my father 
well, actually my stepfather, but I call him my father because he raised me. He was posted here. He was a, an ambassador mm. and he was posted at the United Nations. And so that's why I lived in Europe as well. I was born in Mexico City and when my father passed, I moved to Geneva when I was eight. And then to Paris and then here and then to New York. What do you think has been your biggest personal struggle or your biggest dark night of the soul or whatever you want to call it? When I was in my 20s, I was very, uh, there's a word in Spanish that we say apagada. That we, we, it's sort of like uh, your the light is is dimmed, mm-hmm. you know. Because I I became cynical and I lost faith in in God. I had lost everyone that I loved, and I just was very angry. What what had happened? You had lost more people in yes. your life. Yes, you know my my grandparents had passed away. My cousin um, was also in a, a tragic uh, car accident. So there was just so there was a lot of pain, a lot of death. Yeah. and so the way that I processed it was, you know, just I went out a lot, and I have to say I never got into drugs, mm-hmm. and I was also very respectful with my body. Like I didn't, I wasn't someone that I I, I understood that I didn't want to sleep around to to, to feel like that I could fill that void. You know, I always, I always, that's something that was very instilled in me as a, as a child that my body was sacred and this was a temple mm-hmm. and that I didn't want to just allow anyone to come in mm-hmm. because that was where my power was. So my phase of being destructive was not about, you know, numbing or taking any type of um, Substance. substances to, to, to feel better. But I just, I turned off, I just didn't want to deal with anything that made me have to evolve. And for me, my, my spiritual awakening was, I think I was, it was between my Saturn return when I turned 26. I just remember being in the shower and saying, what is my life about? This is so meaningless. Like, I cannot just go on not thinking about what my next move is, like what my life is going to be about. I finished uh, college. I, I went to NYU because of my background, I was a painter. Mm. And then I worked for Sotheby's. So you were do- in the art world a little bit. I was in the art world. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, working at Sotheby's at the Latin American department and just hating it. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, oh my God, like I'm surrounded by these masterpieces, but it's, it's like a bank. About money. You know, everything is about, it's a commodity. Everything is about selling. And and yes, we do live in, in this type of world where money is important. But I think money for me is an exchange of energy. We need to make money. We need to sustain that relationship in a healthy way. Because we do live in, in a world where we need to support each other. And, 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 and that's one of the facets. But being in an environment that doesn't, that is toxic to your to your inner core, you know. So making money in a place where you where you don't identify with the people can be very challenging. Even if we don't want to look at it in our twenties or thirties or forties, we always will come to a point where we're going to be confronted with what is 
my purpose in this lifetime? Because that's the daunting energy or question. That's the unveiling of the soul. And usually it doesn't really come with money. Mm. You know, like the the self-exploration is about unveiling all of the things that hold us back from wanting to explore our full potential. You know, I look back at every facet of my life Mm -hmm. and I don't regret anything. Yeah. But it was necessary for me to explore that facet because in order for me to want to go in the direction that I'm going, that I'm in now, I had to really sort of, it was a, a leap of faith and it was also a kind of initiation of standing up for myself and saying, okay, I, this life is not my life. The life that you were leading in your 20s. Yes. I was unhappy. I was very unhappy because nothing felt sacred. Mm. You know, it's like my childhood where everything was so sacred and everything made, you know, there was just beauty everywhere. And even my art, you know, like I had stopped painting, like there was nothing. It was just, everything was super, very superficial. And I was, that was making me very unhappy. Hmm. So what happened? And so what happened was that I booked my ticket to India. I was sitting in the car coming from the airport in Delhi. You know, it's very chaotic and the smells are very strong. And I just remember being stuck in traffic and I opened the window and I was observing this neighborhood, much it was a ghetto, you know? And there was all the cows and the smells of the secretion and the de- defecation of all types of <laughs> body parts. And I thought, okay, this is, this is very intense. And then here comes in this pile of, of trash, the most elegant, most beautiful woman in her sari. And this elegant, you know, just, poise and grace and I said my god if this woman can raise above everything and maintain her integrity and just have this grace and poise about her like this is what life is about and I was confronted with that you know the the first moment that I landed you know there's countries like that that just have this power over humanity the way that it can be very dark there as well and very painful, but there's just so much light and so much beauty. You know, I I observed. I was just in awe with with their way of life. Hmm. And I just wanted that for myself. So how did that transform you when you came back from India? I mean, I think we need to have a period where we're unsettled, where we just completely have to shed everything be uncomfortable and be uncomfortable and that's what happened you know I had five years of being extremely uncomfortable in what ways and working through it you know just this overwhelming uh, sense of sadness that everyone in this western society you know automatically labels as depression Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, you need to go see a therapist. You just need to get medication. You just need to like get your feet back on track. Like, And I thought, no, the sadness is not depression. It's mm-hmm. it's a different type of sadness. It's something that is where my, I had never felt my soul 
speak to me that way, mm-hmm. you know. And I I started calling in the people that I wanted to work with. I wanted my teachers. I really wanted to work with plants, and I wanted to understand the healing modalities of of nature. I wanted to to be more in tribal communities and and I just was looking for everything that was not accessible in New York. So when you like came back and were wanting all of this in your life and exploring all of this, how did you juggle that with still living in New York City or did you leave or No, I stayed. And so New York in in many ways became my temple, you know. It's where I found my teachers where I was able to renew myself, where I was able to sort of find my voice. And I was very lucky that I also had my teachers in Mexico. And I had this bridge between coming back to the Western world and going into these beautiful communities in, in, in Mexico, in Oaxaca, and implementing all of that knowledge and, and grace in, in my work. In, in New York and it opened many doors I am super excited to try Boy Briefs products from Tomboy X Tomboy X promises underwear that is made to fit you and how you see yourself Tomboy X offers bikinis, briefs, boxer briefs trunks and boy shorts as well as soft bras and racer back bras everything comes in everyday basic colors and fun seasonal prints wherever you fall on the size or gender spectrum Tomboy X offers amazing underwear that anybody can feel comfortable in. Go to tomboyx.com slash style, S-T-Y-L-E, and check out their special bundles and pack pricing. And what's underneath listeners get an extra 15% off with code style. Again, code style for an extra 15% off. Go to tomboyx.com slash style. Did you feel that there was a change within you? Um, at that time, because 26 can be a, you know, sort of very, or 20s can be a very um, self-conscious time about your body and your relative attractiveness and attraction to others and are, and being lovable or not lovable. How did that affect you? You know, like the ch- how were you then the pre-change and then how did that change? Well, I mean, you? my body changed completely. Because I went from smoking cigarettes and, you know, not eating very much and like and drinking. And and then the moment that I decided that I was going to cut out the cigarettes and the alcohol and the caffeine, you know, the, the body does change. And you do end up putting more weight on. And so that transition, I remember when people used to see me from the past, automatically the first question was like, are you pregnant? They would ask you that? They would ask me that. And how did that feel? Well, at first, you know, it feels a little uncomfortable because obviously they're asking because, you know, yes, your body is not Mm. the same. And so I would just, you know, I would listen to that and I would just say, no, I'm, you know, I'm not pregnant. I'm just going through a different phase in my life. And No, I'm not pregnant. I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but the, also the, the detoxification of the lungs and the, you know, the nervous system and everything, it, 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 it takes, it starts changing. I mean, I had a ballet background, so I always had this very beautiful fit body that was, you know, very petite. And I grew up 
with a, a beautiful mother I love dearly, but you know, she she really cared about the appearances of of the world that we sort of lived in. It's you have to want to break down all of those kind of boundaries that were imposed socially from your family, from from any type of environment if you really want to find your voice. I have loved being 40. Mm. It is the most beautiful time of my life. I mean, the type of security and, and awareness and just... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying this time of my life. Mm-hmm. I think being a woman and being in your 20s and 30s, there's so much that is going on hormonally and trying to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point as you get older where it doesn't really matter who you are becoming to anyone but yourself mm-hmm. 50s are i would tell you are were great i started style like you at 50 see no I mean, I, what i found out what i was doing here <laughs> what i was supposed to be doing well you also had kids during your first saturn return kind of so that was right also what i you found out the second doing. thing i was supposed to be i was right the first the second thing sorry the second thing i was supposed to be doing right where is the ceremony? Where is the talk among women of when you are done being able to have children? Like that, whether you have them or not, I don't know what, like, but you go through the, a change. I don't, I don't even know if it matters whether you've had them or not. It's just that you do, you go through, to suddenly be in a place where you can't. Well, is huge and, 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 and something that I'm definitely having a lot of sadness about. Well, I think, no one talks about that. Well, I think that's a, it's a greater question of how, in this Western society, how we view aging and women that age and how, you know, it's a challenging time because you see all these women that are going against the grain with the process because no one is supporting the process mm-hmm. of aging you gracefully. Mean resisting the process, trying to trying to stop the process. Well, it's not that they're trying to stop it, but there's you know it's you have to remain fit, you have to stay look younger, you you have yes. you know the, all these different uh, Botox fearing, and fillers, fearing and, aging. Like fear- I think people are in terror of it. I yes, think. and I. I don't know, maybe because I grew up with a grandmother that aged so gracefully and beautifully. And she That's nev- important. She didn't dye her hair. She didn't have any type of uh, plastic surgery. You know, she was just beautiful with all her wrinkles. And, and, and I don't know. I just, I grew up with, that was my model. And so we, we spoke, you know, a lot about the aging process and not fearing it. And also, I was around my grandfather that loved her so much and was just in awe of her grace and beauty and didn't ever want her to change. So for me, it's, it's something very natural. Mm-hmm. I, I work with a lot of women and also men that fear, you know, aging and, and what that entitles because it is daunting. You know, what does it mean? not to have the same elasticity in the, in the skin or you know not to be able to reproduce or not to be able to to have a sense of worth of you know did you do you have children no not in this lifetime 
Is that has that been something that has uh, been a struggle or an, or, or did no, you always it, not it was want a to? it was a conscious choice. Can you tell us more about? Well, that? the thing is, is that in in my community, well, in Mexico or in Latin America, when you are a curandera, when you're a healer, it's one of the choices you have to make because I am strong enough and I'm protected enough that at least in this in in this lifetime i haven't had any health issues with mm-hmm. my work mm-hmm. but whatever i pick up energetically could be passed on to anyone that is in that lives with me mm. and so most medicine women or men that live in tribal communities they usually don't have children mm. because their children is are the, the people are the there. people are in the tribe when I work with clients, like I am, I am in the womb. Mm. Like I am my what 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 is transmitted out of my hands and and my essence is the divine mother. Mm-hmm. So I I don't feel like I'm not a, that I'm not a mother in this lifetime. Mm. I'm just not a traditional mother. Mm. I'm mother to many. I work with children. I work with the elderly. I work with the you you know younger generation and every relationship that i have with my clients with the people that come into my life it comes with that mother energy in essence totally and but so the reasoning like in tribal culture is that like is it is it both that you kind of energetically are savoring that motherly energy for the people that you're working with as a healer and or is it that because you're dealing with a, a lot of people's like different kinds of energy negative good whatever like that you could transmit that to a child is it well just to give you an example yeah. you know sometimes i do perform exorcisms well and so when that happens you know i pick up a lot of things and so I know how to transform that and how to clean myself and how to regenerate. Mm. But I could, if I bring that energy to my home, and if there's a young energy, if there's a baby energy, then they don't know how to, to protect themselves. Mm. So that spirit or whatever I release, that entity can go into that very pure energy. Mm-hmm. It happens sometimes. I used to have, um, I, I no longer have cats, but I had three beautiful, beautiful cats that were my children. And I had a session that, where I did have to perform an exorcism. And one of my cats got very, very sick that day when I performed the exorcism because that spirit had entered her energy field. And she was just laying on the floor. She couldn't get up. She couldn't walk. Her legs had just ceased to, to stop, you know, to move. When I finally did the work to cleanse her and to cleanse my energy, which took like 48 hours, then she was back walking and... So what do you do? Like, how do you... How do you perform an exorcism? Well, no, I mean, how do you... I mean, like, that... what does that mean exactly? Like, well, can you that just explain too. Okay, that? sure. <laughs> we can start with that. <laughs> how do I perform an exorcism? Like, well, basically, it's... I, everyone comes and... I do what I do. No, it's they come and they they we're gonna do the cleansing, 
And so if the entity or the spirit does not want to be released from the body, then it starts to show its presence. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that I usually release it, but then what happens to the client is that they actually go into a state of it's not a it's not a coma, but they they go into this deep sleep and the body starts to go into convulsions and then they start foaming of the the mouth. And then after the spirit is released from the body, then I'm able to instill the the tranquility and the peace back into their the auric field with the energy work. Did that ever feel overwhelming to you? That I mean, that feels seems like a very intense. It is a it, it is intense. The thing is, is that when I was being uh, prepared to do this work, my two of my teachers asked me, you know, said this will happen, and so you have to be willing. If you if you are going to walk on this path, it's not all going to be fun and flowers and beauty. There's also a lot of darkness, and you have to, you know, if you want to do this, this is part of the work. And I, so, yeah. you, you know, you, you can't, you can't do some, you can't do spiritual work and say, well, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> you know? So did you ever have like a panic attack while this was happening? Or like, how did you like at the beginning of this work? Or? Well, the first time it happened to me, I was um, not prepared in the sense of the word of like, I had rented a space out in the city. And, you know, when you rent a space, you there's a certain time frame. And oh, it was in a yeah. yoga studio, so I, I rented it out for two hours. So the client came, and I thought, okay, well, two hours is going to be a perfect amount of time. And it so happened that I had to perform the exorcism, and I had to work with the client for six hours. And thank God that no one had booked the room after me, because that was the biggest stress, was like trying to hold space in this moment and make sure that no one would come in to to interrupt the work that was happening and that's when i realized that i needed to work out of my house mm. and because i i was it's it's it was not responsible at all to put the client in that place to put me to put myself in that place and to put you know and in my house, that's why I have my room is activated and it, it's a contained space. And so whatever happens in that moment, I'm prepared and I have my tools and everything. But it's not like I have exorcisms every day. Right. But like, what is it that what is it that's how is someone like behaving in a way that makes you know that you need to do that? Well, usually you can see it in the eyes, like when the spirit entity is inside of them, they start acting out. Like I when I pass the egg over the body or when I'm passing the light over the body with the candle, then there's a, a tremor that starts to happen in either one of the limbs, either the legs or the arms. And that's when I start realizing that the entity is is being awakened or d doesn't really want to leave the body. And what is the entity? In your, like, how would you explain that entity? So, it, you know, it can be spirits. Well, you, entities are spirits. So you have this world, you know, we have, we live in this sort of very linear abstract, this world where everyone is like, we're in the physical plane, but then we have the spiritual plane. And so when a lot of people have died, for example, with September 11th, 
and there wasn't the proper work done to clear that space and to honor the dead and to release them so they can go into the right place. A lot of the spirits remain on this realm and they don't have a place to go. So what happens is that they start finding bodies to go in. Has healing others healed you or helped, how has it helped you? I always tell this to young people or people that want to get into this vocation. It's not a glamorous job. It's not something that is an easy, it's not easy. But for me, it's my, my life purpose. It's something that I, I give of myself freely. And what I receive in return is immense. So I wanted to go back still to the question around like you, you deciding consciously to not um, have your own children. Like, was there a period of any mourning of that or, or it was really something you felt very certain of? And No, and you know, because my sisters, they have beautiful children. I love my nie- nieces and nephews. And I would ask them, you know, when I was in my 20s, I'm like, do you like, do I wake up and feel like I want children? Because at the beginning, I thought something's wrong with me. Like, why don't why am I not feeling this? Hmm. And I felt guilty. And then obviously, socially, people would always tell me, you know, you're selfish, like, you don't want to have children, you don't want to give up your freedom, and all this kind of stuff. And I just, you know, I started realizing that I, I, that's one thing I do, I do every in what I do in my life, I, I honor everything that I feel. If I want something, I go for it. And children, it was I never woke up thinking, oh my God, I'm not fulfilled because I don't have children, or my life is empty because I'm not a mother, or I'm not worthy of being a woman because I don't, you know, it's like, I've never felt that. And I'm still, I mean, I'm 43, and maybe I will have kids, I don't know, but to this day, in this part of my life, I'm very fulfilled. And... If I have children come, then I'm very blessed. But if if I don't have children, I don't feel like there's anything lacking in my life. Mm. But, you know, it, it was challenging, like, when I was younger. Not because of what I was feeling, it was what was imposed. The pressure. Yeah, the pressure, social pressure of not being a mother. And who, who imposed? Was it just cult- culturally or was there any actual, someone in your family? No, that no, actually... no, culturally. Mm. I mean, my mother... You know, she always wished that I had a daughter because mm-hmm. she just, or a son, because she loves me and she just would love to have an offspring that comes from me. <laughs> and, uh, but no, 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 I mean, it was never, it was, it was a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that people just were curious because they know how motherly I am. Mm-hmm. And so they couldn't understand how like, I could have this energy mm-hmm. of, 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 maternal, of a maternal yeah. energy and not want to birth mm-hmm. my own. I mean, I also, if I, my partner, he's, he's okay with that as well. And I was going to ask do you if you had a partner. Yes. And, and yeah, he, go on. No, no, and he's, we're very much aligned mm-hmm. with what we want in our life. You know, that's the problem when you're in a relationship with someone that wants children and the other partner doesn't. And then they cave and they say, okay, well, you know, you want this, so then I'll do this for you. Mm-hmm. But you have to, you know, there's a, having a family is a huge responsibility. And having a, a child, it's not like, okay, a whim where you just, I have it and then I don't take care of it. It's something that you have, it's a relationship that you have until you die. And I think that the world is very overpopulated. 
there's a lot of children that are in need of a of family and if i in my in my lifetime if i wanted to have children i think i would adopt did you ever have partners where this was a conflict well i only had four partners in my life <laughs> that's not that sounds like i funny. mean i've been i've been with my partner for 18 years oh 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 so yeah no i mean so 25 since you were 25 well i mean we've been best friends since i was 17 but yes we so he was with you during your saturn return yes he's <laughs> he's been with me through everything oh wow cool but uh, you know we i mean i'm very fortunate he's a an amazing man he he honors me in every sense of the word and he's very respectful and we have this very strong symbiosis mm-hmm. of respect and unconditional love mm-hmm. and our nucleus is so strong you know like we complement each other on all different facets I think that my father sent him to me mm. you know for me in order to, to, to facilitate and do the work that I do like he's a huge part mm. and like I wouldn't be able to give of myself so freely and, and unconditionally without my partner the support yeah he's a huge driving force mm. in my life I think it's very important right now with this Me Too movement. You know, it's we're all about empowering ourselves, and I think it's a great time for women. But in as we reach this pinnacle of, of, of strength, we also have to nurture the men in our society, and we have to help them integrate and re-educate them mm-hmm. because they need it. The next series that we're going to do of the video gonna be, series are going to so be straight men, the video series. I mean, I see with my work and, and my clients and the men that I work with, you know, everyone needs to have to be listened to, to be understood and to be nurtured. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of men that have been brought up to operate in a certain way mm-hmm. and they don't know how to work any other way Mm-mm, definitely and so uh, us women we have the responsibility to teach them to be vulnerable to teach them to be connected mm-hmm. if we allow the men to feel safe in their failure and to help them rebuild their confidence and to build a network where they where it's not just you and and, and that's it it's like you and me and I'm witnessing you, and you're witnessing me, and we're having a dialogue, and we're understanding each other's vulnerability, then we're getting to the root. Yeah, mm-hmm. and understanding also that they're acting violently and on all different levels of violence, and even emotionally violent, They don't because they have not been seen. I mean, most people have not been seen. Right. And that's where that's when yes. the aggressiveness and the fear and, and the, the violence steeps in. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it goes it, it, totally. It's all about erasing. It's all about being erased. And, you know, when you witness someone, when you give them your attention, when you give them your love, and you nurture them. It's all they need. And you nurture that relationship, then everything, it grows. I, I tell people, it's a very simple thing. You see a plant, even if it's outside or a plant that you buy in your house. If you're attentive to that plant and you nurture it and you put it in an environment that has positivity, it will bloom. 
I mean, I've had a hibiscus in my life for 15 years that gives me every year in February the most beautiful, yellow, vibrant flower. And I think to myself, this is unconditional love. Because my plants, I mean, people who come to my house, they, they, I have a small jungle in my house. <laughs> my plants are my babies. You know, I bless them, I kiss them, I thank them. And it's the same relationship same. that we have to have with humans. The same relationship that we have to have with animals. We're all connected. Mm. And when we stop seeing each other as, I am the man, you're the animal, that is nature and that we're all separate when we start coming together and realizing we're all connected then that's when everything starts to happen we have to go through discomfort to get there which is exactly what we've been talking about yes what is your biggest source of shame or do you have a source of shame i think it's more you know what it is i think it's more society wanting to shame certain actions right sexually especially mm -hmm. i remember because like growing up in europe you know I was always on the beach, topless, like, you know, very free with my body. And, and then when I came to this country, and I would continue go to, to go to the beach and go topless, you know, that's when people were making me feel shameful of, 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 of presenting myself a certain way, where I always was brought up thinking that the body was very natural and very beautiful and that it should be free. And then when I would get into certain situations where they would make me feel dirty about it, mm. then that would infuriate me. Mm -hmm. Because I just think that the feminine form is such a beautiful form. Mm -hmm. And if anyone is going to impose any type of judgment on the body and make it feel unpure or, or distasteful, then that for me is shameful. Uh, what does self-acceptance mean to you? Self-acceptance is just, I don't know, for me it's just being happy with what I've been given and just trying mm -hmm. to ameliorate my life with my tools and accepting my face, accepting my body, my height, my genetic pool and embracing all of that and not trying to alter anything or to mimic anyone else. I think that's my biggest strength, even when I was a child. I never wanted to be anything but me. Thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you, guys. I was dreamy. Mm -hmm. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth.
Hey, this is Brooke Enns and Gina Chancharulo, and we host Between the Reps, a podcast where we dive into the world of fitness, our lives, and all the things in between. We'll be sharing our experiences and everything we've learned along the way. We'll also be talking about crazy stuff from my life, like when I was on the set of Wonder Woman playing in Amazon, recovering from a neck spinal fusion, and launching my very first clothing line. Between the Reps with Brooke Entz and Gina Chancharulo is a CastBox original produced alongside Studio 71. So subscribe for free in CastBox or your favorite podcasting app. Hi, this is Candace Lowry from Persister. Persister is a podcast where I interview badass women who've broken down barriers to really make a name for themselves. I'm talking to actors, entrepreneurs, and just women who know how to get stuff done and can help you learn how to get ahead. You can listen to Persister on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.